0: So welcome to Table Talk. Table Talk is a midweek guided and moderated conversational Bible study at the Old Reformed Church at Ballymacashan in Northern Ireland. Table Talk is informal, it's a conversation, which literally takes place around a table. This podcast contains one or two extracts from the live event and some additional content. In our last Table Talk, we talked about appearance, particularly the outward appearance of the Christian. Does it matter what I look like? Does it matter what I wear? Does it matter the way that I keep my hair? And so on. What does my appearance say about me? Here's a scripture text, just to start a discussion. 1 John 2, verse 15 to verse 17. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. That statement of John's that we are not to love the world, and the things that the world values, like sexual attraction, material possessions, and self-esteem. That should help us to lay a foundation for our understanding of our own appearance. What our outward appearance says about us to other people. When people look at us, do they see people who are conforming to the values and the standards and the fashions of this world or do they see those who have turned away from those lusts and passions? So our outward appearance says a lot about us. Our topic is appearance. The Theology of Fashion. We begin our table talk with worship, and so we sang Psalm 51, verse 5 to 7. That psalm reminds us that God is interested primarily in the appearance of our inner person, the part of us that only he sees and truly knows. In verse 6, the psalmist says, Behold thou in the inward parts, with truth delighted art, and wisdom thou shalt make me know, within the hidden part. get started then. I opened the discussion on the night with a monologue or rather a long boring introduction setting out some general principles about appearance. We had already read 1st Samuel 16 verse 1 to 7 the passage that describes where Samuel the prophet anoints David the future king of Israel. Well let's get some general principles first about appearance. The first one is what we just read from 1 Samuel chapter 16 and it says that God sees not just the outward appearance but he sees right down into our hearts. In that story that we read together Samuel is being given directions by God to go down to the home of a man called Jesse the Bethlehemite and to anoint a new king for Israel and despite the fear of what Saul would do if he found out that Samuel was going to anoint a new king. Samuel set off intending to offer a sacrifice and invite Jesse to come and worship along with his family of course. And among the boys he would look for a future king. First sight it seemed like Eliab was the one, the firstborn, but he wasn't. He was a comely looking boy. If you look at 1 Samuel 16 and verse 6. Samuel looked at Eliab but he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him for the Lord. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. He looked like a king. He looked the part But the Lord was looking not at his outward appearance, but on the heart. And when Samuel had looked at all of Jesse's sons at the feast, he still had no assurance from the Lord that one of them was the future king. It was a lesson for Samuel and for us. The lesson is that God sees right into our hearts. Whereas we, on the other hand, only see the outward appearance. We only look on the outward side and that means it's a challenge for us. When we look at someone, we can't see what's going on inside their minds. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16 and verse 17, we're told beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. These people look harmless on the outward appearance. They may even look like angels of light. They may look as if they do you no harm, as a sheep would do you no harm, but underneath they're ravening wolves. Jesus said, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. False teachers may look outwardly attractive. And that restriction in our view of others must be borne in mind when others tell us that they're Christians too. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 27, Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs that indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, You also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Looking at the Pharisees, they looked good outwardly, inwardly. Their hearts are rotten. We call that hypocrisy. So how do we please God in our appearance? Well, we've learned already that God looks on the heart. He looks at the inward person but does that then mean that he is not at all interested in how we dress in how we present ourselves to this ungodly world Well, not so god is very much interested in our outward appearance so much so that the apostle paul wrote in first thessalonians 5 and verse 22 abstain from all appearance of evil now dressing up as a christian certainly doesn't make you a Christian but when you have new life in Christ surely that will mean that you have a new attitude in how you appear to others you will want to bring glory you will want to bring honor and praise to God and to deflect any admiration away from yourself so that like John the Baptist you will want to say that Christ must increase and I must decrease Fred put it well on the night He advised that when we dress, we should dress from the inside out. Our inward man should be reflected on the outside also. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 to 4 Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now we know that the people of this world like to dress to impress don't they? They like to demonstrate their own self-confidence and their importance to par dress perhaps. Now we're not required to dress in rags or to dress shabbily or always to wear dowdy grey colours, but Peter instructs us in that verse that our priority in dressing should be to mirror the inner beauty of Christ that is within us. And we should not be overly concerned about impressing others with our appearance either. You really don't need that expensive wardrobe. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 down to verse 29. He said, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. There's not the life more than meat, and the body more than clothing. There's more important things in this life than whatever you're wearing. We are to be like Christ, and there was nothing to impress the world in his physical appearance. In fact, Isaiah the prophet wrote, He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53 and 2 We do not dress to look attractive and alluring and desirable in the eyes of the world. And certainly we should never be slaves to the fashion industry. Every year on catwalks across the major cities of the world, the fashion houses show off their latest creations. Male and female models, perfect specimens of humanity, they think, strutting provocatively along a platform to the adoring eyes of the press and the media. It's done for one reason, and one reason alone, and that's to sell product. To enrich the designers and the manufacturers and the distributors and perhaps the product that appears in the fashion shops in the high streets are too often mass produced in the sweatshops of the far east by people sometimes children on a pitiful wage in deplorable conditions and why well as christians We don't need to be dedicated followers of fashion. Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Christians are to reflect Christ into the world. After some discussion we looked at some practical examples and applications. We talked for example about the subject of tattoos or body art as they are apparently now respectably labelled. Years ago this would not have been an issue. Tattoos were not so common in society except on the arms of sailors or builders or shipyard workers. And we would know Christians who had them, but they would have been done before conversion. No Christian would ever dream of getting one after they'd been saved. Nowadays, though, tattoos are far more common. A few years ago, a woman with tattoos would have been considered to be a freak, like the tattooed lady of the circus ring. But now lots of people have them, and women and girls too. And tattoo parlours are respectable establishments springing up in the high streets of every town. One charismatic tele-evangelist boasted of how many tattoos he had got after he'd entered his so-called ministry. Should a Christian get a tattoo? We read together from Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 28. We read the ESV which says you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves i am the lord now that's part of the civic law of israel that's god's instructions for the administration of the ancient nation and that law was fulfilled in christ that nation no longer exists and unlike the moral law that law is no longer binding on believers we're not under law we're under grace we obey the moral law the law of the ten commandments The law that Christ summarised in the two tables of the law, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. And we do that out of love and gratitude for Christ's saving work in our lives. So under the law, I suppose a Christian can get a tattoo if he or even she wants to. But do remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not all things are beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything and brought under its power, allowing it to control me. That's the amplified version. And of course a Christian can have a tattoo, but what good would it do me? There's a far more powerful reason for avoiding them in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 to 20 from the ESV, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now I ask you, is a mark on your skin glorifying to God or is it just imitating the world? We talked also about the allure of fashion for women. That was a contentious area indeed. I said I didn't know many men who would spend as much money on hairdressing as a woman would, but apparently there are some who do. On the more substantive issue, Paul wrote in First Timothy chapter 2 verse 9-10 In like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair, or gold, or pearls, or costly array, but which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. In that passage, Paul is teaching us about prayer. Men are to pray, he tells us in the previous verse, lifting up to God hands that are pure, coming to God repentantly and humbly. Women are to have the same attitude, to be humble, Not chasing after the latest fashions, but making themselves attractive by what they do for Christ with their good works, rather than what they look like. And then we talked about another modern issue. Men who want to dress as women, and women who want to dress as men. We used to call such people transvestites. You don't hear that term so much nowadays. We speak of people nowadays as dressing to identify with their perceived gender. The Bible has a term for it too. The Bible calls it an abomination. Here's Deuteronomy 22 and verse 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now that command calls for a very clear male-female distinction in dress. We're taught in the Bible that men should look like men. Women should look like women. Let me put that another way. Biological men should look like men. Biological women should look like women. Now, do I think that means that women should never wear trousers? Or that men should never wear a kilt? Not for a moment. Those things are largely cultural. But a short time ago we attended a funeral service in which there was a young woman who in her mode of dress would very easily have passed for a man she was wearing a man's shirt and tie and what seemed to be a man's suit the same thing must apply to her styles again in contrast to the fashions and the transient fads of this world christians should wear clothing that leaves no doubt whether they are a man or a woman. Well our last topic then was the me, me, me ideology of this world. We called it the selfie generation. I wonder have you seen those adverts in television where a woman struts about and demonstrates some perfume and sprays it on herself and then concludes something like It's because I'm worth it. This is the age of the selfie. The age of the obsession with me. You can almost hear their voices. Like, I'm so much the most important person in the whole world. They're totally self-obsessed, totally narcissistic. And that kind of thinking influences people's attitude to their outward appearance. After all, if I'm the most important person ever, I'll need to dress to reflect that. What does the Bible say? Christians are not to think of themselves in those terms. We're to put God first. He's most important. We're to put others second. We're to put ourselves last. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That is counter-cultural in this modern age. He says, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. If a person wants to come after Jesus, he has to deny himself, disown himself, forget himself, lose sight of himself, his own interests, refuse himself, give up himself, take up his cross daily and follow Jesus. So to be a disciple of Jesus is the opposite of the ideology of this world. It's not about me, it's about him. It's about denying myself and following Jesus. And that means dying to myself and to my ego and to my own self-glorification and self-satisfaction. And that will affect what I buy and what I wear. Well, we brought our meeting to an end. Just before we finished, Janet read an illustration that Fred had kept in his Bible.
1: A Quaker lady was once asked the secret of her beautiful complexion. She said, I use truth for my lips, for my voice prayer, for my eyes pity, for my hands charity, for my figure uprightness and for my heart love. These heavenly cosmetics are worthy of trial and are supplied free to every applicant at the throne of grace.
0: So think of our clothing, our dress, our appearance as the frame on a painting or an image. Put a gaudy frame on a beautiful painting and you'll distract from the beauty of the image. The Bible instructs a Christian to be dressed with modesty and humility and meekness. Attitudes that fitly frame the inner beauty of Christ within, the beauty that God sees on the inside and that others can witness from our outward appearance. As Fred said, I suppose you could say dress from the inside out rather than from the outside in. Very good, Fred. A very good summary. Dress from the inside out.